All right, how are we? Good, good. Glad you're doing good. You look good. That's good. All right. If you got a Bible, open it up to Acts chapter 8. We've been hanging out in the book of Acts for the last several weeks in this series called 3 to 5. And you got to be careful when you hang out in the book of Acts too long, because if you hang out in the book of Acts too long, then you might start seeing the things that happen in the book of Acts, right? And, and that's really the whole point of this message, is we've talked about how in Acts chapter 6, it said in those days when the disciples were increasing or multiplying greatly, and our contention has simply been, we want these days to be like those days. It's the same God. And so what we've been talking about over the last several weeks, if you've been here, just in case you weren't, is we want to be a church that multiplies. We want to be that type of church where we see that happening, not just for our church to get bigger, because that's not the point. Our goal is to raise people up, send them out to live on mission. And we just want to multiply that. We want to multiply people that are living on this mission of making disciples. And so as a church, all we're saying is our vision is is to go from a level three to a level five. A level three church is one who is growing. They're adding new people. But a level five church is one who is multiplying. And how you know you're a multiplying church is those things that you add. Like we've added a campus. We've added other things outside of the church, reaching out. When you, when you add those things, then those things add things. Now you're seeing multiplication. When the things that you reproduce are reproducing. And so from every level as a church, we want to multiply disciples who then multiply disciples. Then we want to multiply campus campuses and churches who then multiply campuses and churches. And so for us as a church, we've been just talking about this vision that, that we believe is really just the vision of the church. This is what God wants to happen because this is what happened in the book of Acts with the first church. And so we've just been looking at that over the last several weeks and talking about what that looks like, what that means for us as a church. And this week, we're going to continue that conversation in Acts chapter 8, but we're also celebrating baptisms this weekend, and baptisms really represent what the mission is all about, because Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 28 to go into all the world to make disciples and baptize them. And so today, we're going to celebrate that. You're going to see that, because that is what we want to multiply. We want to multiply people who are disciples and are seeing, obviously, Christ saved them, which then is celebrated in baptism. So we're going to look at two different stories of baptisms in Acts chapter 8. One, a story about a guy named Simon, and then one, a story that we just know is the Ethiopian eunuch. We don't even know his name. So we're going to look at those two stories and, and let the Bible tell us what it means to be baptized, what it means to be on this mission. So as always, let's pray as we get started and ask God to bless our time together. All right? Pray with me. Father, thank you for your grace. Um, Lord knows, God, I am in the most need. Um, God, you didn't save me because I had anything to offer you, because you had so much to offer me. And God, we never outgrow that. We never outgrow our need for you. And so right now, God, as we open up your word, I pray that your Holy Spirit, God, would open our eyes, help me to communicate rightly the truth that is in it. And we know nobody comes to you, God, unless you draw them to yourself. So would you do that, God? Would you help me to communicate this in such a way where it honors you and people are helped? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 9, we're going to go down really to the end of the, the chapter, but I've got to take some, some sections out just for the sake of time. But looking at these two stories of two different guys and what it tells us about baptism, all right? So look at this, verse 9. It says, but there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself 
was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. And so you see this guy, Simon, who is in Samaria. And remember context, Philip went down to Samaria and preached the gospel to them because the church in Jerusalem was persecuted. And so they scattered them. And I, I hope you had some, uh, some hash browns scattered from Waffle House in Jesus' name this last week, all right? Lord knows I did, and they were glorious, all right? And so they were scattered as seed, and you see that. And so Philip went to Samaria, was preaching the gospel to them, and now the book of Acts, Luke is going to highlight two stories of people that were both baptized in this missionary journey that Philip was on. The first is a dude named Simon. Now Simon, the Bible says, was a magician. He was practicing all kind of magic, and he thought he was somebody great. In fact, in verse 9, it says, even saying he himself was somebody great. I would just like to submit to you that if you have to say that you're somebody great, you're not somebody great, all right? Take that in the Instagram culture, all right? If you have to say that you're great, you're not somebody great. If people don't know you as somebody great and you have to constantly remind them that you're somebody great, then you've already lost, all right? But he was practicing magic, doing all these things, and he was amazing the people. He was literally mesmerizing them. And I just learned this week, I love words, I love the study of words, I say that often. I didn't realize that the word mesmerized literally came about from a dude named uh, Franz Anton Mesmer. His last name was Mesmer. He lived in the 18th century, and he invented what we now know as hypnosis. And so in Europe in the 18th century, he was going around, you know, doing all this kind of crazy stuff, hypnotizing people because these different beliefs that he had. And literally the term mesmerizing came out of him just astonishing people that they made a new word for it. So mesmer and mesmerizing is a lot like what Simon was doing. And this was very common in the day, guys just going around doing different tricks and different things. Obviously, he's a fraud, kind of showing that he's got all this power, trying to say that he is somebody great. Then Philip comes into his city, right, into his place, and he starts preaching. And the Bible tells us he was performing signs and miracles, and people started coming to Jesus. People started getting saved and baptized, which is exactly what it says in verse 12. Look. It says, but when they believed, Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized. That's the title of today's message. They were baptized, both men and women. Now look at this, verse 13. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. So again, context, Philip shows up, he's preaching, people start coming to Jesus, people start getting saved, they, are, they believe, and then they are baptized. And that is the order. Baptism always precedes, I mean, sorry, belief always precedes baptism, or baptism is always preceded by belief. That's why we call it believer's baptism. If you don't 
believe prior to getting baptized, then it's not the biblical order. And so here at our church, we ascribe to this same biblical concept that we only baptize people who have previously believed because baptism doesn't save anybody. Baptism is simply an outward sign of an inward reality. Baptism is identifying with Christ outwardly. That is why we go down into the water. We are identifying with Christ, his death, his burial. And thank God we come out of the water, right? Just like Christ did. And so we are identifying with his resurrection. And what we're saying basically is we're dying to ourselves. We've come to the end of ourselves. We need to be saved. We need someone outside of ourselves to raise us back to life. And that is what baptism is simply a picture of. And so baptism is what happens when someone believes that Christ died for them and he rose for them. Make sense? Very simple. And you see that they believed, then they were baptized. Now, here's why Luke is telling this story. He's telling this story because Simon Mesmer, the one who was, you know, out doing all the tricks, he was baptized. And this is right in those, one of those stories, like if the chapter just ended here, you'd be like, dude, that's amazing. The town magician came to Jesus, right? I mean, the dude that was just amazing everybody, the guy that no one thought was going to come to Jesus, he came and was baptized. But then Peter and John from Jerusalem show up. Again, I don't have time to get all the scripture in there. You can go back and read it. And it was at this point in Acts chapter 8, after they believed, they, the disciples from Jerusalem come, and this is what is called the Samaritan Pentecost. There wasn't just one in Acts chapter 2, there's also this one in Acts chapter 8, another one, I believe it's in Acts chapter 19 in Ephesus, and theologians will describe this, you see the Spirit coming in the exact way that Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So you see these events happening, this is a separate Pentecost, there wasn't just one, but now it's saying that the Spirit is going to a whole new group of people. Again, Ephesus represents the end of the world, or the ends of the earth. And so you see this, Peter and John come down, they pray, they receive the Holy Spirit, and it's different than the other Pentecost, they, did, they weren't all speaking in tongues, the Bible doesn't say that that happened, the point was this is ushering in a new mission, a new field, a new group of people, and Simon sees that, Simon is amazed, and look at this in verse 18, so skip down a little bit, verse 18 and 19, it says, now when Simon saw that the Spirit, capital S, was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now, hold up. Wasn't Simon just baptized? Yeah, verse 13, it says he believed and was baptized. The exact same two words from verse 12 when it says they believed and they were baptized. Now, the Bible is saying that Simon's saying, hey, I want to buy the Holy Spirit. I want to purchase this. And look at how Peter responds to him in verse 20. So, but Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you. That's not a good thing to hear. May your silver, your money perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Notice he uses the word gift. You don't buy it. You receive it. 
He says, you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Verse 21, you have neither part nor lot in this matter. For your heart is not right before God. Verse 22, repent therefore of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. Like six verses earlier, he's like, I believe I've been baptized. And now he's saying, can I buy that? Can I purchase that? I want the Holy Spirit. But, but notice what he's asking. He says, give me the ability to lay my hands on people and give them the Holy Spirit. Give me the power. That word there, power, is a different Greek word than the one that we've talked about most often, which is dynamis, where we get our English word dynamite. This is a different word that means the authority to do something. Now, remember, Simon thought he was someone great. And now these guys come in and they've got a power greater than his and he wants it so that it'll make him great. And Peter tells him straight up, doesn't miss words. You have no part in this. You know what Peter's saying? Simon, you're not saved. You share no part in this. And the concept of that word part there means you have no vested interest. It's the, the same word that we would talk about today as investing in something or having assets in something. You own something, and that's how we invest. We literally own parts of companies we invest in, right? We're stakeholders. And so Peter is saying to Simon, listen, you're not in. And you thought that you could buy your way in. You thought the grace of God is something that you could earn. It's not. It's something you receive. He says, and your heart's not right. Literally, that phrase there means your heart is crooked. Now, this is confusing because, again, same chapter, Cat was baptized. You thought, hold on. I thought everybody who believed was saved. And everybody who was baptized is good. Apparently not. In fact, one of the scariest verses in all the scriptures is when Jesus says, there are some that are going to say to me, Lord, Lord, we did all this in your name. And Jesus says, I never knew you. Church, hear me. This is why I'm stressing this. You need to understand something. Simon bought in to a different gospel. And it's a false one. In fact, Paul later says, if even angels show up saying something different than the gospel of Christ, let them be accursed and don't listen to them. Here's why I'm stressing this. I'm afraid there's some of us who have bought into the same gospel. It's a false one that says, if you come to Jesus, he'll give you what you really want. In fact, we, we talked about this last week. If you were here, the way we even present the gospel a lot of times is not articulated correctly because we talk about the gospel as a means to an end to get from one place that you don't want to spend eternity to get into another place that you do want to spend eternity. And most people present the gospel like this. Hey, do you want smoking or non-smoking? Right? Turn or what? Oh, you've heard it? Right? Turn or burn, baby. And we present the gospel in this sense of like saying, hey, Jesus will get you out of this place that you don't want to get into. He'll get you into this place that you do want to get into. And trust me, you want to get into it, don't you? 
And we see Jesus as a means to an end. But you need to understand something, church. Jesus is not only the means, he is also the end. Jesus died to get you back into his father's relationship. Heaven is not so much, I said this last week, it's not so much a place as it is about a person. And hell is not so much about a place as it is more about the absence of a relationship with the person. And so Jesus came to get us back into relationship with his father. Because in relationship to his father, we have joy and peace and love. But so often the gospel is presented in such a way that says, come to Jesus, he'll give you all those things. And we think we get all those things in something outside of Jesus. You want to know how? You can do a test in your life. Whether you believe the right one or not, what do you think you deserve? Do you think you earn something? See, Simon thought he could buy it. Simon thought he could earn it. I've said this before, but Dallas Willard, he's now gone to be with Jesus, but a famous Christian philosopher, he always said this phrase, that grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. Grace doesn't mean we don't do anything. What grace means is now what we do comes from the power of God in that he's empowering something. So we're not doing it. He's doing it in us. So we're not earning anything. And this is what happens to most of us. We come to Jesus. We're like all fired up about it. And then he doesn't give us what we want. And we get upset because we think we deserve better. That's what Simon thought. I want the power that comes along that I see that you have. Give me that. He wanted the power that came along with the Holy Spirit. He didn't want the Holy Spirit. I have these conversations with my kids a lot because, you know, I'm the primary discipler of my kids. It's not the church's job. It's my job. As a parent, same is true for you. And I've realized that that discipleship doesn't happen so much in like these prescripted times where we get together, although that happens, we pray together and those kind of things. But I've just realized discipleship happens with, with us being together in life. And so my kids just know now at any point in time, a conversation can turn to Jesus, right? At any point in time, there's a teachable moment, whether they want it to or not, it's coming. And it happens quite often with, with my two kids in this context of they thought they were going to get something or one of them got more than the other one. And then the, invariably this word of I deserve will come up or that's mine. And, and they just know now when the word deserve comes up, we having a conversation. And this is what I'll ask them. What do you deserve? And if you were in the car or at the table or wherever it happened to be, this is, this is how my kids respond. Invariably it goes like this. And then the word out of their mouth next is hell. <laughs> That's right. And it's a Bible word. It's not a cuss word. You deserve hell. You're like, you tell your kids that when they want a cookie? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's called parenting. <laughs> right? Even cookie company can get to Jesus, right? So... Invariably, we're having this conversation and like, I deserve this. No, baby, you deserve hell. 
And you're like, that's, that's cruel. No, it's not cruel because then here's where I go next. But because of Jesus, you get heaven. You get God. So you deserve hell. Anything else on top of that is a bonus, including this cookie. It's grace, right? So listen to me. I'm glad you're clapping. Listen to me. The gospel is God. God is the good news. You get him. And whether or not you really believe that is determined by when he doesn't give you what you want. Then that is a test of, do you really want him? Or did you just want what he could give you? See, Simon just wanted what he could give him. So Peter rebukes him and says, bro, you need to repent. What does repent mean? Repent means have a change of heart, a change of life that results in a different kind of behavior. And see, Simon thought he was someone great. You want to know why most people don't come to Jesus? Because it takes humility to come to Jesus. You have to admit you're not great, that you don't deserve anything good. So Simon came because he thought he could get all the power. But the good news is there's another story. Flip on down to verse 26 now. I think Luke purposely juxtaposed these stories together to show, all right, here's a dude that believed and was baptized, but it wasn't genuine. Here's another guy who believed and baptized, and it was genuine. Look at verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Let's stop and chat here. So here's Philip. Again, he's already gone down to Samaria. Now God sends him down even further to a desert place. And he goes. Notice it doesn't say he sent him to a desert place. That's where I want God to send me, right? Yes, Lord, I will witness. It's all about cookies today. I will, I, we just had cookie company on Friday, so that's why it's on the brain, right? And probably still in the veins. And so I, if, if God, you want me to go witness to somebody at a candy shop? Yes, Lord, amen. But, but you want me to go to a desert place? Listen, this is what three to five is all about. Being a multiplying church is wherever God sends you, you see yourself scattered as seed. Philip goes. He goes to a desert place. And while he's there, lo and behold, even though it's a desert place, normally not a lot of people there, an Ethiopian eunuch is coming through. He's in the court of the queen. He is over all the treasury. So he's the treasury secretary, right, who's coming through in his chariot, and he just so happens to be returning from Jerusalem. He got the scroll of Isaiah, and now he's reading it. And the Spirit tells Philip, go over there. Now look at the next verse, verse 30. So Philip ran to him. Philip, what? 
Now, let's try that again, because I know not most of you are runners. Philip what? Ran. Ran to him. Now, I'm not hating on you. I'm not a runner either. That's why I played football. Seven seconds at a time, and then I get a huddle. All right? I'm all about it. And I get to hit some people. Sign me up. He ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? Verse 31. And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, again, I want you to picture this. This is a desert place, a royal person in a chariot, and God tells Philip to run to that or to go over there. Didn't tell him to run. Sorry. He said, go. Philip chose to ran, to ran, to run. I'm getting all my words mixed up here. <laughs> now, just think about this. When there is some kind of profession of uh, or procession of an official, what normally happens to the people who run to them? Does it go well for them normally? No, right? Just imagine any elected official, the president's coming through, and someone runs to the motorcade. Ain't going to go well. But Philip runs to him. Now, again, I got my words mixed up. The spirit didn't tell him to run to him. He just said, arise and go. But I don't, I don't want you to miss this. Philip so wanted to obey the spirit that he ran. Now, now, camera guys, zoom out a little bit. You got to follow me here. We've done this a couple of times. I mean, picture this. He, he hears, go over there, sees the chariot, and then he takes off, man. I mean, just running, sprinting. I looked it up in Greek. It means run. <laughs> Again, I know not most of us do this. I've got an Apple Watch, and it's got the Nike Run thing on. I'm like, ain't no reason to install that. Ain't happening, right? I don't need no GPS tracker of me running. God didn't make me run, a runner. I don't have cartilage in either knee now. I for sure ain't running, right? He ran. And here's what I've realized. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. So often the spirit will tell us to do something and we'll respond back with really spiritual language and say, God, I'll pray about that. <laughs> and, and I don't know how God thinks his ways are higher, but I can only imagine God's like, um, I don't know why you're talking to me. I'm the one that told you. It'd be like my, my kids, right? Hey, go clean your room. If we're downstairs, go clean your room. Hey, Dad, let's have a conversation about whether or not you want me to clean my room. Um, Holmes, I just told you. Oh, I know, Dad, but I really need to make sure that's your heart for me. I really need to make sure that that's what you really want from me. God, I want to follow you, Dad. I love you. I want to glorify you. I want to worship you, Dad. But I just really want to make sure that you want me to. I told you. Go clean your room. Now, what would happen if we're having a conversation downstairs and I say, son, go clean your room and homeboy jumped off the couch and sprinted up the stairs? I would faint, right? What got into him? 
But you know what I would think? Wow. He is really obeying me. He can be trusted with what I commanded him to do. I just love this picture. I don't have a lot of time. I, just, I mean, I could preach a whole sermon. He ran. He ran. And listen, I want you to hear me. I'm not saying that every time the Spirit commands me to do something, I run. Sometimes he commands me to go talk to somebody in the chariot to the desert place, and I run to the desert place. Sometimes I run away from him. But I just love the fact that Luke says he ran to him. That is multiplication. Here's a guy that had been raised up in the Jerusalem church. It was full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Now he goes down to Samaria. All these people get baptized. God sends him even further down again. And now he's running to tell somebody else about Jesus. And wouldn't you know when he shows up, homeboy is reading out of the prophet Isaiah. It's almost like the Holy Spirit is like, I think, I think that we think that the Holy Spirit plays fastball with us, like plays MLB, you know, like he's throwing 90 miles an hour stuff at us. And I think the Holy Spirit plays T-ball. I think the Holy Spirit's like, here it is. All you got to do is hit it. I got him teed up for you. I don't need you to do this, but I'm inviting you in on it. All you got to poof, home run. He set him up for this. Guy's reading Isaiah. And Isaiah is arguably the most messianic Old Testament book we have. It is why most Jewish people do not like reading Isaiah because it talks so much about the Messiah. And that is why it's the best book to use to have conversations with people who believe the Old Testament because the whole Old Testament is about Jesus. And look at what happens. Verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Again, the whole text in Isaiah is about the suffering servant. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Don't you want people to ask you that question? Hey, here's some water. Here's a mud hole. Let's stop right there. What's preventing me from doing that? Well, you know why the Ethiopian eunuch asked that? Because Philip ran to him. And the second thing that Philip did, I just want to point out here, this is just a little evangelism 101 training. He asked him a question. He didn't roll up with his signs that said, turn or burn. Shouting with megaphones. Now, if the Holy Spirit told somebody to do that, who am I to judge? I'm just saying it's probably going to go better if you engage them with the question. If you ask, and what did Philip ask? Do you understand what you're reading? Didn't even ask, do you know Jesus? Have you met Jesus? Do you have an ichthus on the back of your chariot like the rest of us do? No, do you understand what you're reading? Very open-ended question. Bam, he says, no, I don't. How can I unless someone guides me? Cha-ching! Lo and behold, I can tell you. But he engaged him. As a person, as Christians, we're just not very good at doing this. We're so socially awkward sometimes. Just go up and ask a question. You're like, well, pastor, most people are in a chariot reading Isaiah. I get it. But they might be reading John Grisham. 
that might be watching Netflix, and you can use any movie, you can use anything to get it back to Jesus. Hey, do you understand what you're watching? You understand the storyline? You understand what you're reading? You understand what just happened? He just engages him. Then when he responds back, I, I want you to tell me, he opens up his mouth and starts telling him about Jesus to the point where the eunuch says, there's some water. Let's get this done. What's preventing me from getting baptized? Now, depending upon what translation you have, it goes from verse 36 to verse 38. Verse 37 is not in there. You probably have a footnote in your Bible. And the reason being is because not all the manuscripts that we have have verse 37 in it. And this is where people that criticize the Bible, like, see, the Bible can't be trusted. Let me let you understand something. Before the 16th century, we didn't have a printing press and we weren't mass copying the Bible. The Bible was the very first book printed on the printing press because it was seen as the most important book. It's the most wide known, wide read, most published book in human history. In fact, the word Bible just means book. But before that happened, we have scribes who copied down manuscripts. They were handed down. In the early days, it was passed down orally. Then they would copy it down. And a scribe would never take away from the scripture. They would never take away a verse. They would never take away something. What they might do on occasion, though, is in the margins, add. And then over time, some of those manuscripts would include that in. So the older manuscripts will have less. The more recent copies will have maybe some footnotes added in. Verse 37 is seen as that. Here's what verse 37 says, though. Philip responds back to him, believe with all your heart. That's the only thing that's preventing you, belief. And then the eunuch says, I believe. Now, we have more manuscripts, more copies of the Bible than any other book in human history, and it's not even funny. We have thousands and thousands and thousands of copies of Old and New Testament. And when the Dead Sea Scrolls were found last century, they only confirmed everything we believed, and they were actually older copies. Other ancient literature, we have maybe nine or ten copies. The Bible, over 5,000. So this is one of those verses that people will use sometimes to say, see, the Bible can't be trusted. But what you need to understand contextually, it's not necessary because it's understood in the context that belief precedes baptism. And so verse 38, look at what happens. And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way. What's that next word there? Rejoicing. Rejoicing. That's how you know the difference. Now, baptism means to immerse. Again, context says they went down into the water. So in just a minute, we're going to have baptisms. I'm not going to get down in there with you because it'd be awkward, two of us in a tub, all right? I'll stand outside. One of our other pastors, Jasper, will stand outside. But you'll get down into. Why? Because baptism, the word means immersion. Because baptism, again, is simply going under. You're dying. You're, you're saying, I, man, I've died to myself. I'm coming out of the water. I'm a new person. But belief has to precede baptism. Baptism. 
And so Luke presents these two guys, both said they believe, both were baptized, but only one of them was genuine. And how you know the difference is the Ethiopian eunuch came away rejoicing because he had received the gift. Simon came away saying, I want to buy more. Not understanding that you receive this, you don't earn this. And Philip baptized both of them. So our job as pastors and people who go out and share the message is simply to preach, to offer Jesus. People believe and are baptized. There's no way we can understand or know the inner condition of the heart. But what we can say is those who truly believed will evidence repentance in their life. They will no longer think there's someone great. This is why humility might be the number one distinguishing factor of a Christian. The irony is Simon thought he was someone great. The Ethiopian eunuch actually was someone great. And he got down out of his chariot and was baptized on the side of the road. Because he wanted the gift of salvation that he'd been reading about in Isaiah. So the mission of our church is to go into all the nations and make disciples baptizing them. It's in this verse that you see the gospel cross into a new country. What if Philip hadn't have ran to that Ethiopian guy? The gospel wouldn't have crossed into a new land. And that's where that church started. And so today the invitation is the same. The vision of our church is just to multiply that mission of making disciples. And so it's very fitting that we would do baptisms in the middle of this series because this is the mission. The mission is to make disciples, and that starts with believing the gospel and then getting baptized. And so there may be some of you today that prior to today, you said you believed and you had gotten wet, but it wasn't genuine. And today, maybe you need to repent and trust Jesus and get baptized. But there may be some of you here today, like the other guy who just knew nothing about Jesus, and now you've heard the good news for the first time, and you're going to repent and trust Jesus and get baptized. The offer is to all. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to present the good news of great joy that you came to us. And now if we trust Jesus, we'll get back to you. Thank you, God, that you didn't leave us in our sin, but you came and you died. And you rose again. And now you're in heaven, interceding on our behalf, and we'll trust you, we'll be saved. And so, God, I pray right now for anybody in the room or listening or watching that has not trusted Jesus, that you would save them. No one looking around or talking here as we close. If you have not trusted Jesus. There's not been a point in time in your life 
where you humbled yourself and you said, I need somebody outside of me to save me. Where you've come to Jesus for Jesus, not for anything else he can give you. But seeing him as the gift. In just a second, I'm going to give you an opportunity to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised them from the dead. And if that happens, you'll be saved. But we know that doesn't happen without the Holy Spirit opening your eyes. And so if you are seeing the truth and you are understanding, then now is your chance to respond in faith. So right there where you are, I'm going to ask you to confess, to pray, not out loud, but repeat after me. It goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me that you sent your son in my place for my sin. Ask you to save me. Forgive me of my sins. I trust Jesus as my savior. Thank you for loving me. Now again, nobody looking around or talking. If you just pray that with me, would you just very simply lift your hand up so we can see that? Just lift it up. Thank you. We got men and women going to walk around, put a gift in your hand. When they do, you can put your hand down. Thank you. Thank you. In just a second, we're going to celebrate baptisms. And I know there's some of you that came prepared today to get baptized. And in just a second, I'll give you an opportunity to stand up and head to the back where there may be some of you that came that you weren't prepared to get baptized. That's all right. We got a change of clothes for you. We got everything that you need. If the Ethiopian can get out of his chariot and say, look, there's water. What's preventing me? Hey, look, here's water. The only thing that was preventing you is belief. And if you've believed and haven't been baptized, then let's get it done today.